Yeah, I say all the time, decision makers don't meet with sales reps because they don't have any information or understanding of how to solve their problem. They're just repping a product. Now they will meet with a, a sales rep who actually doesn't act like a sales rep. They'll meet with somebody. In other words, if you act like a sales rep, this, and I define a sales rep as somebody that's saying, I got this product and I know how to sell it versus a, a trusted partner or consultant, however you want to, whatever label you want to give it. If you, if you know something about how to solve their problem that they don't know, they will talk to you. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Tom Stanfield. Tom is the co-founder and CEO of Aslan Training and is the author of an interesting book titled Unreceptive, A Better Way to Sell, Lead, and Influence. And our conversation today, we're digging into, digging into a new concept that Tom writes about in his book. He calls it receptivity. Because Tom believes that when buyers say no to a meeting, they aren't rejecting a product or service, they're rejecting the sales call. In other words, they're unreceptive to being influenced by a seller. So a customer's willingness to listen is more important than your ability to communicate. So we dig into what sellers have to do to convert the unreceptive, which is hard to do is because the only guidance sellers have been offered for years is along the lines of, hey, let's work harder and send more messages and make more calls with the typical result that they face increased resistance or lack of receptivity from the buyer. So what can you do to change all this? Well, that's what we're going to get into today, a conversation with Tom. So we get into all that and much, much more. But before we get to Tom, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, let's jump into it. Tom, welcome to the show. Andy, thanks for having me on. I've been a fan for quite a while, and I am loving oh, you. your new book. So without, oh, I mean, I, I really, I'm, I mean, I know I would say that anyway, Andy, but I actually mean it. Right. Oh, <laughs> yes, it's really nice when people mean it. <laughs> yeah, in this case, I actually mean it. I I have to say it on most it. of the podcast I'm on when, when, the, when there's an author, but I actually mean it this time. Oh, well, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Um, it's great to see somebody well, you know, who shares my passion. authors on this show. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're going to talk about it because you and I are very well aligned. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I have had authors on the show where we've, we haven't seen eye to eye. Um, but, yeah, not too frequently. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. We really appreciate it. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited to to dive in and then talk about, uh, you know, somebody who's got a lot of experience, shares, sees the world the way, the way that I do and, and, um, is passionate about what I'm passionate about. So, so I'm sure I'm yeah. going to learn a lot and hopefully it'll be helpful for, uh, your listeners. Well, well I'm sure it will be. I'm sure it will be because yeah, we're going to talk about your book, Unreceptive, a better way to sell, lead and influence. And, as you and I were sort of chatting before we started recording is, is, you know, one of the things I really liked about it is, you know, you and I shared this idea. It's like, you know, there's really nothing new in sales, right? right. I mean, anytime somebody says, oh, I've got five secrets about it, It's like, yeah, mm -hmm. come on. <laughs> there's no secrets. Everything's been written about for yeah. forever. But what we do need is new perspectives, yes. right? New ways to look at what we're doing mm -hmm. to help us do it differently and better. And you've introduced this this concept of receptivity, which we're going to get into, which I just think, yeah, that's the type of thing we need is just another another perspective. Yeah, yeah I think it's a very tangible way to get your handle on the problem that sellers are facing today. Really, in, I mean, 
a lot of us are facing almost in every part of our lives where we want to influence is that every time we mm. enter into a conversation, whether it's a teenager, a spouse, a team member, a customer, a prospect, they are either in one of two zones. They're either emotionally open. They're sitting there saying, hey, I'd like to know what your position is, or I'm open to hearing your perspective, mm -hmm. or they're emotionally closed. You know, and right. it could be the subject's closed or it could be the door's closed. And now more than ever, the door and subject is closed. And so that's a simple way to get a handle on, okay, am I, you know, the first question I need to ask myself, if I want to influence, which I love your passion for not persuasion, but influence, if mm -hmm. I want to influence, the first thing I need to do is ask myself that question because it changes my strategy, right? When they're closed, they're yes. emotionally closed. The message doesn't matter. My value prop doesn't right. matter. My message doesn't matter. We have to first get that door open or we got to get that subject. We got to get make sure that, as I talk about in the book, the soil has to be fertile before fertile. Right. I even plant the seed. And in sales, we love to talk about the seed, the message. But until the soil is fertile, until the person I'm talking to says, what do you think I should do? What's your perspective? Tell me what your, your experience you know, and they're open until my daughter says, who do you think I should date? Or what do you think about? Well, <laughs> I love that story in the book. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you were just saying, it's, yeah, I'm not judging who you're dating. Right. Yeah. It's just, yeah, I got it. Yeah. So that's a completely uh, different mindset and skill set. Right. Yeah. Not putting someone in a position where they will put up the walls Yes. and say, yeah, I don't want to have, I don't want to engage this way. Mm -hmm. Now, have you read uh, Jonah Berger's book, The Catalyst? No. Okay, you'd you'd really like the it. Catal uh, the Catalyst. Or yeah, I think it's the Catalyst. Catalyst yeah. Okay. And yeah, he was on the show a couple of years ago. So the book's a couple of years okay. old, but it's about yeah persuasion and influence. Um, even though he and I got into a little bit about perhaps the differences, right. um, but he cites in the book he said, "Hey." Uh, yeah, there's a universal research shows that hundred percent of people in the world have this persuasion reactance reactance, you know, you use the word reactance. He uses as well, but a resistance to being persuaded. Yeah. hundred percent. This is not, you know, some people don't like it. Everybody doesn't like it. And yet I find it ironic that that is at the heart of the way that we, <laughs> we try to enable salespeople is, yeah, we got to teach you how to be more persuasive. Yeah, yeah and I think the, the, that truth comes from this idea that when people feel like they're being persuaded, it's someone who's trying to control or change them or convince them to do something, which means they're wrong. Yeah. Right? Well, that's exactly right. <laughs> and I talk about that in the book as well. As yeah. This whole idea about persuasion is it's a zero-sum game. If I'm persuading you, I'm right. And you're wrong. you're wrong. And people don't want to. Yes. I, my wife doesn't want me to enter into the room and go, let me tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> yes. Right. I need to get you to yeah, change. You mine doesn't either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. By the way, I talk about, I talk about family a lot because those are the people that know me the best and those are the hardest people to influence. Uh, and, and also but we it's... care more about them than anybody else, I think. At least right. I should say. But what you're talking about in the book, mm -hmm. oh, I'm sorry, what you're saying, what I'm saying is you're, what you're talking about in the book, though, is, is what I tried to do as well is that, you know, this is, this is universal, right? Right. It works in sales, but it, it works in life. Yes. Right. And, and so maybe it'd be better for sellers. We said, look, this is just, this is just how to be a better human. Yeah. yeah, it's better, yeah. And if you're a better human, then you're better with your prospects. And I, 
I have something similar. I, I talk about you know, your job as a seller is not to persuade. Your job is to listen, to understand what's most important to the, the thing, the most important thing to the person you're talking to, and then help them get that. Perfect. And I said, yeah, what if you applied that to yeah, a, a partnership at work? What if you applied that to, yeah, your spouse, your partner, whomever at home? You're going to do the same thing, right? Exactly right. Yeah. It's, and I think that our challenge is, is our, ultimately sometimes our motive. You know, well, yes. we have a, yes. we have something we, especially in sales, this is, that gets a little complicated if we talk about all our relationships. Right. But especially in right. sales, we have a motive. We like, we, we have an agenda. We want to be successful. We have a, a, a you know, quota, we have our goals. And I think, um, you know, what I try to teach and, and tell myself is that I am going to be mm-hmm. more successful and more fulfilled if I set my agenda aside. Right. And help people achieve their objective. And I think you, you mentioned that right. in the book, your quote, but Zig Ziglar, yes. I love Zig Ziglar. Right. 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 Which is just a, you, you're going to get what you want if you help other people get what they want. It's just it's fundamental, yeah. but you got to believe it. And here's why I think people set that aside, because it sounds a little OK. That's a little as somebody said on the call to me the other day. That's a little woo woo. Right. And, <laughs> and it is a little woo woo if it's just woo woo. But the reality is your motive right. is transparent. If you thought. Yes. If you knew that when you're talking to someone, there was a little bubble above your head and your motive was being broadcast up there and everybody could see it, yeah. it, it would become all of a sudden really important. And the fact is, that's the truth. You have 43 <laughs> muscles in your face. And when you are trying to manipulate somebody or you have or you don't you're not listening or you care about yourself or you're tuning out or you're selfish, your motive is transparent. And so when you when you really make that decision say my goal and focus is to help you achieve what you want to achieve. Now that doesn't mean they have the right path to get there. You may need, you most likely need to influence and change their way of thinking about getting there, but their ultimate destination is theirs. And it's not about you. It's about them. And if you make them the hero of the story, which is a real popular thing to talk about now, um, Mm. they're going to know that. And then what they do is they open up, they tell you the truth, they meet with you, they listen oh, the to you. Exactly. And it's just, it just starts to get really easy and you feel good, right? You enjoy it. And people invite you into their, to early in the process and they ask you questions and they say, what do you think about this? What do you think about our competitors? And, and all of a sudden you start, you start having relationships that last for 20 plus years and things get easier and you enjoy what you do. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, yeah, I love the whole thing about motives being transparent. Yeah. I, it's funny, you and I are writing our books at the same time. We, we use a lot of the same phraseology. Did you say that? Um, because, you know, I have the thing about motives being transparent. And yeah, instead of the bubble, I said, what if you had to write your motivations on your forehead in Sharpie? Perfect. Yeah, there you go. Uh, right. I mean, same thing, right? What mm-hmm. if you had to advertise what your motives were Yeah. when you're in a meeting with somebody? Perfect. Yeah, well, think about that. What if you had to use a thought bubble or if you had to take Sharpie and write it on your forehead? Exactly. Uh, you might do different. But it's one of these things that, that sort of two points. One is we violate so completely in sales mm-hmm. is, you know, at the end of every month, every quarter, you know, your, your account exec's been out there diligently trying to build this you know, connection, this relationship with this buyer. And yeah, I'm here to help. I'm here to help. And then, you know, I get to that last week of the month and the manager says, gosh, what can we pull into this month from next? And Hey, Tom, go offer them 20% to close this week. Right. And suddenly, it becomes very clear to them that, hey, you're just transactional. And all this work and all this thing you've been talking about, your motives, yeah, are very transparent, but they're not the ones you, you put up front. 
Well, and I think the, 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 I think there's a way um, to address that too, because I think this is one sure. of the reasons that people, you know, they don't really know how to balance those two ideas, right? It's like mm-hmm. I need to put the customer first and make them first, but I also got to how do I? And the reality is, so if you ask the question, why is it in the best interest of the customer for me to offer them a twenty percent discount to buy now? If you start asking that question to everybody that mm-hmm. talks to you in the organization, your manager says, answer that question. Why is it? Because people don't want to say it's not. Do it anyway. Right. You know, and, and so, but if you <laughs> know, that's what they're thinking. But yeah, it's like, well, yeah. and, you know, and they may, they may, you know, like you said, selling, don't sell out. And if they say, well, I don't care about the customer. I care about getting this done, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah. Well, then that may, that may tell you what you need to know. But most of the time you can come up with a reason why either not do it or do it right. in a way that's best for the customer. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that that is a level of thought though. that's just not given to it. Exactly. And I think that's, right? that's what it, it's deciding, um, making that decision that that's what I'm all about. And, and then ultimately, um, that's going to be my approach. Because I will be more successful yeah. if I take that approach. Yeah. Well, and it's sometimes the approach is, yeah, not offer the discount. Right. And, yeah, have enough pipeline that you can you can hit this month and that, next month. That's but, really the better point, Andy, is like right. if you do the right things, you won't have to come at the end of the month to make your quarter or to make your number because you're having to – you know, you're having to push things or make moves because you don't have enough in the pipeline because you don't know really how to sell, how to influence. Yeah. Well, the perspective I try to not getting off the beaten path here, but this perspective I give people about discounting is, is it's a matter of surplus. Mm-hmm. You know, people discount when they have a surplus, right? You know, you've got, you're selling TVs. You know, at the end of the month, you got too many TVs in the inventory. Hey, discount them so you can sell them, right? Bring the new ones in. Well, in this case, the surplus is unmet quota. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so motivational for the customer. Right. And that's what managers do. Right. Right. I've looked I'm on the shelves. I've got all this unmet quota. Uh, how am I going to move it? I'm going to have a sale. I'm just like, you know, crazy Eddie and his right. retail store in New York back in the seventies. Well, let's go give that away. That's right. Great way to position that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it hurts you. You keeps you from being a trusted partner because now all of a sudden you look at somebody peddling something and offering discount rather than helping them achieve objective and knowing where, what they're trying to accomplish. What's the process to do that? What's the timeline? Who needs to get involved in being driving that? You don't need to be coming at the end of the month saying, how about now? Yeah. yeah. Are we ready now? Yeah, we're ready it's now. Like, that should have all been established yet? when you first met with them and said, hey, listen, people who solve this problem, we, we walk them through this process because this is the process you need to walk through to solve that kind of problem. And, and, and if, you, right. if you understand how to do that and what those steps are, you're never in that situation. Right. Um, so I was going to ask a question about uh, influence because yeah. you know, we sort of touched on that. But is... You talk about the traditional methods of influence don't work anymore. I was wondering, or a traditional approach to influence. So what what are those things? Because I think, again, it's not something people really traditionally sort of think about. It says, okay, what does it mean to influence? And why is it not working the way it did before? Well, I think of the traditional approach to influence is really just uh, equal to um, a going to court which is, by the way, the way that I thought about it when I first got married. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right? You know, there's a, I'm going to make a business case, 
right? And my and the and you yeah. can make your business case. There'll be a judge, and someone will rule, and the logical argument wins. Right. So it's like a logical, right? Right, right, right. But the problem is there's no one in the court. No one's listening. No one. So there, it isn't a logical case. No one's, no, no one's showing up for your business case. In other words, because they're not making a logical decision. When people are, and it, it comes from this principle uh, that I call the cornerstone principle because it's a cornerstone of everything we teach, is that when someone's emotionally mm-hmm. closed, the more you try to persuade them, the more closed they become. Yeah. Exactly. Right? So the yeah, I mean, well, in research shows like in political campaigning and so on is, oh, exactly. is the facts. The facts don't matter. Facts to, don't to the matter. The so the traditional approach, they make it worse. They it, make it worse. It makes it backfire. So right. So what we the traditional approach is make your business case right. You know, support and validate your your recommendation, which there's a place for that. That's for sure, but not when someone's emotionally closed. So mm-hmm. that's when the traditional. And so the problem is. The percentage of customers that are open or prospects that are open is so small. And that's why the traditional approach is failing, because what we're doing is we're 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 taking we're going after the market. We're saying we're just keep beating up and hitting, hitting, you know, creating more volume, amping up the, the message, doing more of it. I mean, I'm getting more and more people and people are just deleting, 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 ignore, ignore, ignoring. And it's just backfiring. And so that's what I mean by the traditional, uh, you know, value prop. Right. Make your argument. Uh, again, there's a place for that. And when someone's sitting there with a, a piece of paper and a pen or a notepad or a, an iPad or, or they're in a Zoom meeting and they're saying, tell me what to do, value props important, making a business case important, and do that. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's the, that is not the, what's happening the majority of the time. Right. So this idea, you talk about converting the unreceptive, mm-hmm. uh, those who are emotionally closed. Um, yeah, I think back to to uh, Jonah Berger's book, The Catalyst, again. And he gives a great example about, um, I think it was for, I think it was for an LG DBQ yeah. organization that was canvassing for some some issue, I don't know if it's a specific ballot proposition or something, in the South, traditionally in you know, real red territory. Right. And... They trained them, people going door to door, canvassing, asking people about this, in a way to say, look, you know, the way to to connect with someone is to find common ground. Hmm. And you there's always a way to find common ground with people, right? It's not about pitching, you're not about, you know, confrontation, you're not about trying to change their mind. First you just have to find that common ground. Right? It could be something that was, you know. Maybe they had somebody, you know, in their family who Mm -hmm. was gay uh, or, you know, a relative or, you know, it doesn't even have about that issue per se, but they trained people to be just here as a human, Mm -hmm. to talk to you as a human and find that common ground. From there, then they could start having a more open conversation about the issues because people weren't close to it, right? They didn't have their defenses up. And it's, I found this is true in selling. Um... For me, as one is you know, someone who's more introverted than than extroverted, is yeah, I I wasn't very good. Still not at you know, sort of the pitch. Right. Right? The elevator pitch. No, no, I wanted to ask a question, find out something about this person and maybe find some place we could start the conversation from. 
Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that approach. I, I talk about it in, in, in the way that I position it in the book, uh, and I kind of back up and say it this way and provide a little more context before I talk about the common ground piece, is that before you can influence, you have to have it. You, and I said this earlier, you've got to get an invitation. Somebody's got to invite mm-hmm. you, right? You've got to invite you in the door, right? And if they're canvassing, whatever. And that's true. If you're sending an email, you're walking into somebody's office, if you're account manager and you kind of want to try to meet with somebody else, or maybe you want to shift the conversation from the ABC product they buy to the XYC product they don't buy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. I want to show, I got, I got to get an invitation um, before I can have that really conversation. Uh, and the, the, what you want to lead with, which is the common ground piece is I always say you lead with what's on their whiteboard. That's the common ground. Yep. Right. It's like they have a whiteboard. I mean, if you think about this, it's just so, it's so, so changes the way you think about your introduction, Mm -hmm. regardless, they have a whiteboard in their office. And now, most people really do have a whiteboard. If they don't, yeah. metaphorically, they have a whiteboard. And the whiteboard yeah. is real yeah. simple. They want something. Everybody wants something. And then they have a plan to get there. Everybody. Mm-hmm. And so if I start with what's on their whiteboard, it always captivates their attention. And it always creates that common ground. Do you want mm-hmm. this? Do you want this? Right? I understand that way. Now, sometimes I got to guess. Right. But um, if I'm trying to find the common ground, I'm searching. I'm looking for that whiteboard. Do you care about or now, you know, and and if I'm serving this, the same type of profile person, my same persona, the whiteboard issues are typically fall into four or five categories. And so I if I guess or um, Mm -hmm. I'm usually at least I'm trying to talk about them. I'm showing them a picture of them. And if I show them a picture of them, they will always look at it. Right. Right. And so if I or if it's more strategic opportunity and it makes sense, you do a little due diligence and you find out what actually is on their whiteboard. On the whiteboard before. Yeah. Yes. And then you lead with that. Relatively easy these days, too. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I get I get people reach out to me all the time because, you know, I'm quote unquote CEO. Um, I say quote unquote because I, I spend more of my time doing this than I do being a CEO. But um but I have that title, you know, owner, CEO, right. and they all say the same. They never talk about my whiteboard. They talk about them. Yep. This is what we do. And, and it's just now, you know, I, I see it if it's, if it actually is on my whiteboard, if it's, they get lucky, but it, it's uh, very rare. Very rare. Yeah. There was a gentleman on the show a year or so ago, uh, Dr. Stephen, I was, I think I mispronounced his last name, Stephen yeah. Timmy, T-I-M-M-E. From Georgia Tech, wrote a book called Insight Led Selling. Mm-hmm. An excellent book. It did a lot of research for it. Well, I co authored it with a, a woman, Melody Astley, I think her name is. And, okay. um, but in there, you know, one of his findings from his research was that, you know, to your point precisely, is 77% of you know, the C suite or let's say decision makers find that sellers showed up only prepared to talk about their product, not mm. the customer's problem. That's right? exactly right. Yeah. 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 I say all the time, decision makers don't meet with sales reps because, because they don't have any information or understanding of how to solve their problem. They're just repping a product. Now they will meet with a, a sales rep who actually doesn't act like a sales rep. Right. They'll meet with somebody 
In other words, if you act like a sales rep, this, and I define a sales rep as somebody that's saying, I got this product and I know how to sell it mm -hmm. versus a, a trusted partner or consultant, however you want to, whatever right. label you want to give it. If you, if you know something about how to solve their problem that they don't know, they will talk to you. Yes. Yeah. Why well, wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they? Yeah. I mean, I mean, but I think back to the beginning of my career, absolute beginning, first job selling computer systems to, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, roomfuls of metal to, yeah, to, to companies. And, yeah, I was fresh out of school. I didn't know anything about business. I was selling, you know, there's a full suite of accounting applications, uh, back office applications, which, yeah, didn't really know anything about either. Mm -hmm. But talking to CEOs and founders, I was selling to the construction industry. But I was naturally curious. I wanted to learn, right? I wanted to. And as long as I was seemingly sincere in the questions mm -hmm. I was asking and, and, you know, they logically flowed, it looked like I was learning and they could sense I was learning and... Could and it was going a, somewhere. It was going somewhere. They gave me their time. Yeah. That, that's, I mean, I, the times that I've met with CEOs, even large organizations mm -hmm. that I've met with CEOs, and they know that I've met with other companies in the industry, the first question they ask me is about what's happening in the industry. Yep. So they, because my point in saying that is they don't know what all these other companies are doing. We have the, the view, the viewpoint or the, the, the knowledge of knowing what, if we're in the industry talking to sometimes hundreds of companies, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that are trying to solve similar problems and we have that right. intelligence. And if we're learning from everybody we meet with, we become super smart. Mm-hmm. And that is leverageable versus here are the questions I'm supposed to ask to try to sell you my product. If I ask you these four questions, I can pitch my product hmm. versus what's what again, what's on your white? Forget my product. Forget my solution. Yeah. What are you doing? What's important to you? How you get a raise? How do you what, how what's your incentive? Right. What's what does the end of the year look like? What's success look like? And again, mm -hmm. they have to feel like it is related to the meeting. Right. That's the trick. You have to you have to put a because in there here. I'm, I'm going to ask you this question because I think I want to know or here's how it'll help you. Mm -hmm. uh, I call it priming the question. But right. if you can do that, people will talk to you, especially like yeah. you said, if you're sincere. Uh, it's it's what happens, what most of us do. And this is back to the motive thing. What most of most of us do is we ask our question and then our face looks like we could care less about the answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I love the line you have in your book about it. You said a customer's willingness to listen is more important than your ability to communicate. That's exactly and, right. Right? I mean, true yeah. words never spoken, right? Is, is, so that changes the perspective on, okay, well, what are you trying to accomplish yeah. when you're meeting with someone? Are you trying to, you know, hey, we're going to train you how to give a presentation, but we ever train sellers how to get the customer to listen, to open mm -hmm. up? Yeah, open up and listen. Yeah, it's really just simple two dimensions. The first dimension is what do we say, mm -hmm. right? Which we spend a lot of time on our playbooks and what do we do and our moves mm -hmm. and our strategy and that's all. But the other side of the equation, the other dimension, which I think is far more important than our playbooks and our strategy and our presentation, our value prop, is the customer, like you said, willingness to listen. And there's specific yeah. skills that we can learn and specific mindset and things that we can do that actually make that really easy. Now it's very counterintuitive. And I love what you talk about is, 
you know, you believe it's in part of our DNA to, to mm. kind of be this person. And I agree with that. I think deep down, we are created to serve our customers. We're more yeah. fulfilled to serve our customers. We're yeah. created to, to, to have integrity and, and do the right thing. But it is very counterintuitive. The stream, <laughs> the, the stream flows, you know, if you kind of go downstream, it doesn't, it flows to self. Yeah. <laughs> right. 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 It doesn't feel good at the end of the day, but it's if I just wake up and go down go go with the natural gravity, I'm going to go I'm going to go downhill. Mm -hmm. And so I have to fight that. And so that's uh that's a little that's one of the passions of of mine and why I wrote the book is is just to encourage people it will work. Be who you know you need to be. And, but at the same time, and here's the other thing I think is important because a lot of times people will misunderstand the message. That doesn't mean you don't work. You right. don't, you, you, you know, like we talk about drop the rope. A lot of people like throw right. the rope and leave. Yeah. No, you drop the rope, you eliminate tension from the conversation, but you stay and you need to have the expertise to lead. You mm -hmm. need to challenge as the challenger sale talks about. You do need to challenge the customer, be, but why do you challenge the customer? Because you're trying to help them make the right decision, not right. because you need to win the deal. And if you challenge the customer without having a receptive audience, it really backfires. Yes. Oh, yeah. You just come across as arrogant. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. 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 It's, it, we seem to have gone so far down a road where this is, you would think, you know, these things, especially given the experiences, we look at the data in the last you know, yeah. 10 years about quota attainment and all these things. It's like. Hey, people, what we're doing just isn't working. No. Right? It's one of the reasons I wrote this last book was just like, we're just not getting better. Mm. And yeah. why is that? Giving all the advantages of all the technologies we have to play, why aren't we so much better at this thing we've been doing for in this form for mm -hmm. 140 years now? You know, the sort of industrial B2B sales. Why why aren't we better at it? And it's because it's like we're just recreating the wheel every every time somebody new comes into the profession yeah it it, it it's something i've been talking about thinking about a lot lately and discussing internally with our leadership team is and we see that we we've i think we believe that there's really finally going to be a revolution in sales i think people are i think and a lot of it has to do with the great resignation okay. i think the sellers are revolting against this idea of we're not going to call at the end of the month and say, I'm going to give you a discount. And, right. and I, so I think people they are, they don't want to be salesy. They don't want to be sales anymore. And, and it's so hard now to get a customer that we've got to be better at managing and growing the existing customers that we have. And that's mm -hmm. a different approach. And I think, I do think reps that are still holding on to the old technique. They're bouncing around and saying, I'm looking for the next deal where I can hold a bucket out of the window and just catch money, mm -hmm. you know, cause I got the latest and greatest thing. I think those people are searching and I think they're, they're, they're looking for that. And I, I don't, I think that's, there'll be some of those opportunities. If I just send an email, people go, yeah, I want that. But I think those are getting fewer and far between. So I think a lot of things are coming together where people are going to get serious about, okay, we got to do this differently. Yeah, we got to send different emails. We got to talk right. differently. We got to we've got to communicate things well, was, like I'm not sure this is right for you. Let's have a discussion <laughs> yeah. and yeah. determine if if you know I don't know if we can do it. Telling the truth, you know, saying things like yeah. No, we don't do that. Right, but we do do this. Let's have a conversation. Right. 
yeah, to your point about yeah, like emails and so on. There's some big company. I, I want to say it was one of the big, you know, consulting firms. Right. Has decreed no more email sequences. All, wow, all I gotta, I gotta track that down. Yeah, I've been trying. I've been trying to. I gotta remember who who told it to me, but okay. um, that's pretty significant, right? As a change. It's very, and I think people are, I'm seeing it in the messaging. It's like your podcast, like the opening of your podcast. It's by revenue IO. Is that, am I saying that right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a commercial. Uh, and the way that that was done is so like conversational and real and authentic. And it's like you seeing people shift to be an organization shifting their message and it's funny, along those lines, we were just talking about this yesterday. So we, you know, as every organization does, we get, we get you know, raised hand leads. You know, mm -hmm. people say, I sure. want to talk to somebody, right? right? So this, we've got a sequence in, in, involved right now where, you know, the email goes out from me and then I'm the head of marketing. And, um, and it, we got, we got, it got mixed up in how the sequence happened. So right. it, it was like the sales professional was following up and the sequence was happening. They ignored the salesperson and reached out to the marketing person. <laughs> <laughs> it's like just even though they're like, here's a person following up saying, hey, I understand, right, you, right. you know, just the typical you want to talk to us and I'm here and right. I'm the person that you talk to. And they're like, I'm not sure about you, but I'm going to I'm going to talk to Jenna the marketing person who her email sounded more, <laughs> you know, less. It's just, I mean, customers are, do not want to talk to a sales rep. As I talked to somebody the other day, they hate sales reps. I, don't, I think that's a little strong. That was yeah. his opinion. Well, let's talk about that a second. Cause I'm, yeah. Yeah. You know, Gartner came out with their research in summer 2020. Hey, you know, sky's falling. Right. Buyers no longer want to talk to sellers. Mm -hmm. And my thought in response to that was, well, Buyers never want to talk to sellers. Right. But I think the self-aware organization knows they need to, if they can, right. <laughs> because they need somebody to ask them the questions. They don't know to ask themselves. They need somebody to challenge, right? Yeah. Uh, because it can help them make a better decision. But yeah, if you can't come in and be any better, if you're not any better than your website, right? Yeah, they don't have no need for yeah. it. Yeah, I think, I think what's happening is there is there's a percentage of people obviously that need to talk to sellers uh, and and it's just that the the belief now is i can get so much information without talking to a seller mm -hmm. right so that if i can if if i can i'll do everything i can to try to figure it out on my own rather than deal with talking to multiple different people and then all how sticky that gets after the meeting and how they barrage my, and whatever that whole thing is that happens, uh, that I'll do everything I can to avoid that dance, either by talking to people I know or doing my own research mm -hmm. to then finally reach out to the few of people that I trust or have been recommended to me. Um, and so I, I, there's something happening there where, you know, just, the percentage of people that are willing to engage early or is dr dramatically dropping. But I do think, I, I think we can still, I don't think the profession's going away and I think we can be successful. No. I just, to your point, I just think we need to, it's kind of, I don't want to sound like we're I'm preaching doom and gloom. I think it's a great opportunity. I think it's a sure. great opportunity to be different yes. and say, this Absolutely. is who I am. 
This is what I'm about. If you need me, I do these things. We do them really well. If you don't need me, I don't do these things. And let me help you make a decision and change your messaging. Get real. Do videos that people can see who you are. Be honest about what you want. Know what you're talking about. Be passionate and drop the rope. Don't try to manipulate people and control them because control is just an illusion. Right. And people will people no will respond. And that is a competitive advantage that you will have. That yes. That will separate you from the ninety eight other people that are sending the same emails and the same LinkedIn request and the same message over and over again because they're lazy. Right. Yeah. No. I. I yeah. So two things to that. <laughs> One is. So I got I got my soapbox there, Andy. Yeah, I got I'm, fired right, up. I'm glad. Well, I think one change that has to be made, and I've been mm. preaching this on, on the show here, is as a salesperson, think about not what you need to be in order to sell, but think about what the buyer needs you to be in order to make the decision. Love that. Right? Love so, that. And I, I challenge sales leaders when I talk to them, and they're you know, putting together hiring specifications for you know, a product's job specification for a sales job. And I'll say, well, interesting. So have you ever asked your buyers what they need from you? Right? Because I think, I think sales is basically a, you know, we're hired by the buyer. Right. It's a job to be done, right? They're hired by the buyer to help them make a decision. So mm-hmm. if they were hiring you, if they actually were hiring you, uh, what do you need to be in order to help them? I love it. And you know what it starts with? And this is, this is something that blows my mind. I've, I've been in this business, sales training, sales consulting for 27 years, almost 20 mm-hmm. years. I can think of one time where I looked at a sales process that was built around helping a buyer make a decision. <laughs> yes. I mean, just think about that fundamental idea. Yeah. Right. We got to, we got to, we're going to, we got a process for how we develop an opportunity, develop a customer, however, whatever you want to call it. We have a process and it's centered around the rep, not centered around the customer. Absolutely. It really should be really simple. It should be, so if a customer's at this stage, what are the next stage? What are the next steps that they need to follow for them to evaluate solution or solve this problem? Yeah. And just, it's just, we just need to orient how we think about our role, how we think about our process to to how do we serve the customer? And it sounds as the part my customer said the other day, woo woo, but it's the truth. And and by yeah. the way, when the deal stalls and there's no velocity, because we don't we don't know what to do. Because if we lay out the process and say, hey, listen, for companies that we work with, this is how the best way for them to evaluate their solution. We've been doing right. this for twenty something years. We've been doing this for ten years. We've worked with Hunter. Here's what we do, and here's how. Where are you? We know you're here, so I would recommend these stages. Now they may say, well, we can't do that. Okay, well, let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. I'm just telling you what's the best way to evaluate a solution right? based on our best, not, not by, not by our solution, but by solution. solve this problem. Yeah. No, doctors I, don't go. What do you want? Doctors don't go. What do you want to do next? <laughs> well, plastic surgeons maybe, but yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that's a good, that's a good point. That's what my plastic surgeon said. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But uh, no, you're, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've been, well, a couple of points again is one is, is yesterday I was having a conversation with, uh, it, recording an interview for the show with Brent Adams of yeah. you know, Challenger Sale. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. And, and yeah, he's getting around. He was on another podcast. He was on the podcast following a podcast. Well, I, I think was he on feels, a couple of days. 
maybe liberated to some degree, so it was no longer at Gartner. But um, okay, got it. But because uh, you know they, you know the thing where he couldn't necessarily go on shows of clients and so on, just because right conflict. So right. anyway, makes um, sense. Yeah. So I asked him, I said, yeah, okay, you've got this classic buyer enablement diagram that Gartner put out in 2018 with their buyer enablement study, what they call their spaghetti bowl diagram with mm-hmm. this, you know, this is what the buying journey looks like. And it's just, you know, looks like a bowl of spaghetti. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> right. And, and I asked Brett, I said, so, you know, I have to admit, I said, I haven't, since that time, really haven't come across, me personally, I haven't come across, I think, more than one organization in all that time who said, oh yeah, they looked at that diagram and said, oh, that's the way buying happens. We need to change how we're approaching the buyer, right? And we're going to market with the buyer to reflect what they're trying to do. And so I asked him, I said, have you seen any? And he said, well, yeah. But then I was like, yeah, but not too many. Yeah. And it's like. Uh, It is, it is becoming popular. I think, yeah, I think people are having an awareness that that needs to change. Yeah. Well, I think that I sort of look at it as like we know we're sort of, we'll know we're sort of heading in the right direction when sellers describe the stage they're at from the buyer's terminology, using the buyer's terminology, mm-hmm. not we're in discovery yeah. mode, we're in qualification mode, we're in blah 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 blah. But no, when you're doing a deal review with somebody at, with a manager, it's like, yeah, I'm at whatever the term would be for a buyer. We're in this stage. Yeah, we're in this stage, and and the and. The, the good news is it's really not complicated because to do both, because mm-hmm. there's a reason why we have a seller centric process because it's intuitive to the seller. Sure. That's good. Right. You know, when you're training sellers, you don't want to say, don't do everything counterintuitive. That's tough. Mm. But if you have both tracks, right. If you say, here's your, here's the customer's process and here's your process and here's, you know, you can line those up so that they work together uh, or at least have the customer's objective at every stage of the process if it's just seller-generated process. Because some of these companies we work with are huge. They can't just change their process. I mean, it's embedded everywhere. But sure. but if you at least add a, a row and say at each one of these stages that we go through, here's the customer's objective and here's what, you know, then at least it orients you around what this all about, which also tells you how to advance. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me ask you another question. This is sort of sprung, not on my planned list of questions, but um, one of the changes I think needs to be made is, uh, is, and I wonder if you see this in your consulting practice companies you work with, is I saw this uh, figure from research in a, a, another book I read just within the last six months or so. Uh, surveyed 14,000 plus enterprises around the world. Okay. And that the average win rate on deals 100k or higher was 17%. 100k or higher? Yeah. Okay. So something with yeah, you know, modicum of complexity but not transactional, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say. And I'm thinking wow, that really sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I love wow, that really sucks. And yeah. <laughs> but I see this with SaaS companies and you mm-hmm. know that we can't use necessarily as a guide because some of them are so their motivations are just toward an exit and not building an enterprise. Um, but you know, really low win rates. Right. And it's like to me this is this is coming sort of a 
an epidemic. Um, it's that people satisfied with really subpar performance. And it's yeah. like, for me, it's like, okay, if you've got a 20% win rate, you know, one of two things or both perhaps are players. One is, do you really have product market fit? You know, arguably no, or B, right. you just really, just really bad at selling. Um, and we're helping the buyer make a decision or both, but it's, yeah. it's, it seems to be increasingly common. I'm you know talking to friends such as yourself, other people that, that have businesses similar to yours, uh, working with sometimes, you know, fortune 1000 type companies and some smaller, and it seems to be fairly consistent. Uh, and this seems to me is, yeah. is, you know, something that's sort of been a trend along with quota attainment. It's just, it's declining. It's declining. And it's, and it's like, okay, well, we've gotten so... So part of my analysis is, you know, we've gotten so in love with top of funnel. And mm-hmm. the tools exist to help us sort of, you know, <laughs> spread the nets out and bring in a lot of fish, whether they're all the ones we want or not. Um, mm-hmm. And then if we're just okay, you know, we can close one out of every five of our qualified opportunities. Yeah. And we build our process and planning around, around that. that. And to mm. me, that's just not sustainable. But also, it's yeah, we're just not selling. I mean, it's I, it, granted there are variances by by industry type and product type and so on. But yeah, changes in market, changes in market. But still, that number is so low, and and I just don't see people being sales leaders being that concerned about changing it. That's the part that I'm concerned about. It's like I have conversations with you know, CROs of you know, public traded companies. And it's like, well, okay, well, you're 19%. So, you know, what's your growth strategy for next year? Oh, it's all about top of funnel, right? Increase deal flow, lead flow. And I get more in, get more and in. I get that like, 19% equals this number. Yeah, and it's like, okay, but what about increasing your win rate? It's just, let's say yeah. 1% next year. You know, I get this blank, I yeah. get this blank stare. And I, and I asked him, I said, so do you know? you know, what the impact is revenue wise, short term and long term of each 1% increase in your win rate. No idea. Interesting. They're not even thinking about it. Yeah. Is it, do you think it's because the organization's so big and that's such a heavy lift or such a big change to talk about how to improve performance rather than it's just easier to, here's the dials I can control and these dials I can control, I can easily turn. And ultimately, I know at the end of the thing, there's a 19%, and there you go. Well, I think that's part of it. I, I don't think it's related to enterprise yeah. size, though. I think that that you know, even spent a lot of time with startups, even the startup world, that's sort of the same mode. They're, they're saying that, yeah. I, somebody had sent, a friend sent me this diagram, and I appropriate it and use it in presentations as well. And he, he sent it to me, he said, he had two big circles on a, a page, and Let's say one was the size of a basketball and one was the size of a golf ball. And he said, yeah, the one basketball, that is the amount of mental energy and time and attention in the sales industry we devote to top of funnel. And he said, the golf Interesting. ball, he said, that's the amount of mental energy, time and attention we devote to selling. Because, I, yeah, he's like me. He thought top of funnel is not really selling. It's marketing, right? Um, right. And I think, yeah, I think we're still in that mode. And I think this is one of the changes that needs to happen is, is yeah, I jokingly tell people, I said, you know, you'll know we're on the right track when the most popular sales conference in a year is no longer 
you know, inbound or outbound or something. It's discovery and qualification. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I think some of the the challenge with focusing on the the golf ball is because there's a belief that you just hire sellers. Yeah, right. Yeah. You you just hire you know you hire talent. You don't develop yeah. it, and and three that is just not true. Yeah, I mean it. It. I mean I'm not saying it's not a strategy you can win with. I think people can win. That you know they can win with that strategy, but people. I mean, we've been, we train thousands of people every year and we walk into organizations. You can, you know, you can, I mean, I met with a rep the other day who doubles the performance of the second rep in the organization. Mm -hmm. So he outperforms the second number two rep since twice as much revenue in his closing rates, way over that. I mean, we see, we've seen reps, some reps with closing rates in the 90s. Yeah, I mean, I, it's it's like I, it's like because they because they know how to do the things that we're talking right. about, um, and so if you if you invest in it, I mean, it's it's the same thing, you know. And I'm hoping I'm hoping that the 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 evolution or the revolution, whatever you want to call it, that what's coming in the market, people are going to get more passionate about developing their people because it drives engagement. Absolutely. I mean, it's not just about selling. It drives engagement. It drives customer retention. I mean, all these things touch so many different things, but it's, it's like we're still running organizations like the military. It's like, it, this doesn't work that way. People leave. They don't, you know, they just, they bounce around, but it's like coaching. Yeah. I mean, Everybody talks about coaching. Everybody understands the, 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 the data around talking and meeting with your reps and riding along and giving them feedback and everybody most organizations when i asked the reps that was the last time your manager rode with you uh 19 months ago <laughs> yeah. i mean they call it coaching right. but it's a conversation yeah. right it's like hey you should do this this is that. hey watch me do this you should do it like yeah. this hey i'll do it this time you know see you later blah 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 i mean people don't and as soon as we train them a lot of times we'll train them and then well, we've got a coaching certification process. We're taking the coaches through. We're teaching them how to coach, apply all this. And then all of a sudden, the senior leaders will throw out something else. And the next thing you do, they're doing data analysis. And then that totally sidetracks the initiative. Now, we have a process that hopefully will keep that from happening. But um, it, these are the frustrations of sales enablement and learning. But the bottom line is it does work. Yeah. Um, and, if, if, and I think we're now seeing the consequences of a top of funnel approach. Right. Well, and I think as well is, is this idea that the human's not quite as important in this, right? Because it is yep. the overarching dream of many technologists and so on is to take sellers out of the equation. Overarching and, dream. And AI. Yeah, and we'll the whole separate separate conversation on that. But yeah, yeah there are quote unquote thought leaders out there, you know, one I saw two weeks ago on LinkedIn that buyers don't want a human connection. They've got friends. And I'm like, mm -hmm. first of all, dude, you've been on my show. We are, we argue about this. You're wrong. Then you're still wrong. It's like, yet, you know, there's some, somebody's consuming that content. And it's like, come on, it's just dead wrong. Yeah. Well, and I think the misconception about some of that idea about relationships and connections well, I think and all it's that friendship. stuff is about, it, they think it's, yeah, the goal is a friend. Yeah. The, no, the goal, relationship determines influence. Yeah. 
And the reality is, is customers need in, they need to be influenced. They need help. Whether I'm working on something in my house or I'm trying to solve, like right now I have problems in my business. Do I have the solution to my problem? No, No. I'm talking to companies and I don't know exactly what to do. I can't play the GC of, of some of the things that I'm working on. It's not as I need to hire people, get things done. You know, I need help. I have cloud-based applications that I don't exactly know how to fix Mm -hmm. or how to improve. And I need somebody to help me. And yeah, I'm going to do everything I can to avoid talking to salespeople, but I really want to talk to a partner Mm -hmm. who will help me. And, and, and if the relationship opens the door for me to listen to them, and if I feel like they're, trying to manipulate me, don't care about me. I, my emotions will tell me not to trust yep. them. And my emotions drive decision-making. That's the thing that I think people miss. Emotions drive decision-making. And, that, and people disagree with that. I'm like, you just follow them around for a week. <laughs> I'm ask, ask them what car right. they drive. Oh, exactly. There's one car that is the most efficient, effective economic car. And I guarantee you they don't drive yep. it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Tom, unfortunately, we've run out of time. Um, no, we can't. We can't, Andy. We've got to keep well, going. Let's do it again. This was fun. <laughs> I'm lonely. Yeah. I need you friends. Need friends. <laughs> so uh, tell people how to connect with you. Well, the, the obvious way is uh, on LinkedIn. Love for people to connect with me on LinkedIn um, because I obviously post consistently. But if they're interested in the book, they're not ready to buy but they want to learn more. There's a book website called unreceptivebook.com. And there's some, you know, some videos of me talking about the book. Uh, you can download an excerpt from the book. Um, so that would be a great way to, to check out the book. If you want to learn more about Aslan and, and uh, our sales training uh, that we provide, that's aslantraining.com. And Aslan is A-S-L-A-N. Perfect. All right, Tom. Yes. Thank you so much. Loved being on your show. Loved meeting you. Did You did not disappoint. Oh, thank you. Well, we'll, we'll do it again. <laughs> thank you, my friend. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I really want to thank our guest, Tom Stanfill, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.